Hello, I'm Nadia Singh, and welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series, which aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by speaking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be speaking with the former director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and the president and CEO of Resolve to Save Lives, Dr. Tom Frieden. Dr. Frieden, thank you so much for being with me. Great to be with you, Nadia. Dr. Frieden, you recently told IDSA that even if we have a safe, available, accessible, and trusted vaccine, it's not going to take COVID-19 off the table. That said, what will aid in eradicating this novel virus? Well, I think what all of us in the infectious disease field understand is that there is no fairy tale ending to this pandemic. It's going to be with us for a while, and there's no one weapon that's going to make it magically disappear. What we need is a comprehensive approach. That means chipping away at the risk. I think of this in two broad categories, the risk that it will spread, and we do that with strategic indoor closures and the three W's of wear a mask, wash our hands, watch our distance. And then the second, of stopping it when it is spreading with strategic testing, contact tracing, isolation, and quarantine. And unfortunately, at present, uh, COVID is not a candidate for eradication. The best we can hope for globally is a good level of control. And some island countries are attempting elimination. Uh, That's very ambitious, but uh, we're seeing places like New Zealand um, get very close. And Dr. Frieden, can you address the changes in guidance we've seen coming out of CDC and recent allegations of HHS interference into CDC reports? I think perhaps it's best to think of things in three broad categories. In one category is a change in guidance that occurs because we learn more. Or as Keynes is reported to have said, when the facts change, I change my opinion. What do you do, sir? And This is an example of uh, science, and one of the prime examples of that is masks. Back in January, I don't think many people at all thought that masks would be as important as we now understand them to be in the fight against COVID. So when the guidance on masks changes, that's largely the result of progress, of better understanding. A second change in guidance may happen because a mistake was made. And that appears to have happened with a premature posting of a comment on the spread of uh, COVID through the air. This is, as we know, a complicated and controversial topic. And even the definition of what is aerosol, what is airborne, requires careful communication. Apparently, as CDC said in a news article that came out, they shot themselves in the foot here by putting something up that wasn't well-written. It wasn't clear what it was saying. And then they took it down saying it was posted in error. And because of what I'll discuss next, there is widespread lack of trust and understanding. And it just emphasizes that they need to be super careful now. The third area is the most concerning. And in the third area, there are instances that are very clear that uh, people in Washington at the White House, Uh, at HHS, wrote materials and demanded that they be posted on the CDC website as if they were a CDC document. And I really think that's dangerous and inappropriate. It's also unprecedented. It never happened in my time as CDC director. And I don't think it ever happened prior to that either. Uh, And I've likened this to 
someone vandalizing a national monument by scrawling graffiti on it. We expect the CDC website to be rigorous science. Of course, they can make mistakes. Of, of course, science can change, but it should be the best available information, not the politically expedient information. And I hope this does not happen again because it does risk undermining our ability to trust the CDC. Excellent points, Dr. Frieden. Thank you for bringing those up. You talked about putting our trust in the science previously, and you just alluded to it in the previous question. It seems like common sense, but so many have allowed external societal differences to cloud trust in scientists. How do we combat that and allow science to dictate our country's most important policies? One of the things that's so important and so absent is having the CDC speak directly to the American people every day or nearly every day. That's what has happened in all prior public health emergencies so that the public can understand what we know, how we know it, what we don't know, what we're doing to figure it out. And uh, the lack of that means that it's been very difficult for the public to understand what the science is. I will also say that for those in academic medicine, it's very important to distinguish what's clearly the fact from what is a theory. So for example, it's absolutely the fact that children are massively less likely to get seriously ill from COVID. It's a fact that COVID is massively less likely to spread out of doors than indoors. It's a fact that masks work to protect other people and probably to protect yourself. There are other things that are theories that we're still trying to figure out. We think perhaps kids are somewhat less infectious than others, but we're not certain of that. And the more we distinguish what we know from what we're investigating, I think the public will be better served. When people from academia uh, boldly say that if we just did X, this disease would go away, I cringe because there's no X that we could do to make this disease go away. Not limiting travel, not staying home, not contact tracing, not testing, um, not, e not masking, not even a vaccine. We need, again, to chip away at that risk. And one of the ways we can gain more trust in science is to be very clear about what science knows, when it knows it, and how it knows it, and what's just a theory that we need more information on. IDSA invites you to kick off ID Week with 24 hours of COVID-19 coverage with Chasing the Sun. This global event begins Wednesday, October 21st at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and other partners have provided funds to offset the cost for attending Chasing the Sun, which gives you access to health authorities from around the world, offering unique global perspectives and data on COVID-19. Register now at idweek.org. That is such an important point to drive home. Thank you, Dr. Frieden. Switching gears now, even with a vaccine, the pandemic will likely continue. Do you think we can expect to see at least one safe and effective vaccine this year? I'm hopeful, guardedly optimistic, that we'll have evidence that at least one vaccine works, at least for some populations, at least for some length of time this year. Uh, unfortunately, as almost everything has in this pandemic, vaccines are getting politicized, and I wish they wouldn't be. Vaccines are our most powerful tool, and we have a lot of exciting new approaches 
that may provide safe and effective vaccination against COVID. But we don't yet know that those vaccines are effective or safe. We don't know which will work best. We don't know which age groups will be best protected. That's why it's so important that these trials continue so that we can figure out, do they work? Are they safe? Who do they work for? And when we know that, we'll be able to get more trust from the American people. So we'll be able to protect people better and save lives and recover livelihoods. A follow up now for you, Dr. Frieden. What type and level of data do you think are needed for the FDA to authorize or license a vaccine and for the ACIP to recommend it? It'll be interesting to see what the FDA looks at. Uh, some of the protocols just released by the companies look at all infections, not severe infections. And you'd really want to know that the vaccine protects against severe infections, not merely mild infections. You'd also want to know that it's safe and you'd need to wait six or eight weeks after people get their second dose to get even a minimal sense of the adverse effects. You also want to know that there's no antibody dependent enhancement, i.e. that if someone gets the vaccine, then they get an infection, they don't get sicker than they would otherwise. This is something that happens with the dengue vaccine or some dengue vaccines, I should say. It's something that happened with one vaccine against SARS in one animal model. So it's a risk. We hope it won't happen, uh, but it needs to be looked at carefully. Sticking with vaccines, Dr. Frieden, how can federal, state and local health officials and healthcare providers work together to increase vaccine confidence? We need to be completely transparent. And that's why I'm encouraged that the companies have shared their protocols and when the data starts coming out on effectiveness and safety, all of that data needs to be publicly available as well so that there really can't be any question that someone is putting their finger on the scales or playing politics with vaccine approvals. And there's really no alternative to complete transparency about what the data shows. We all hope these vaccines will be safe and effective. We'd like them out there as soon and safely as possible. But that means being sure that we're completely open with information. And frankly, some of the companies may be uncomfortable about that because of um, stock prices or competitive advantages and tough luck. We're all in this together and they need to provide all of that information openly if we're to have a, a chance of getting people to trust the vaccines. And I'm encouraged that most of the companies seem to be quite committed to doing that. Thank you, Dr. Frieden. Switching gears now to testing. And as you know, widespread testing has been a controversial topic. Should officials be focused on more accessible testing and contact tracing or evidence-based prevention campaigns like encouraging masking, social distancing, and reduced capacities in various establishments? Or is the answer a combination of both? We definitely need all of the above. We can tamp down cases with things like masking up in indoor places, reducing crowded indoor spaces like bars and choirs. But once you're at that lower level, the next thing you need to do and what you need to do throughout is a strategic program that we call Box It In. Strategic testing, rapid isolation, complete contact tracing, and supportive quarantine. If we do those four things, we can tamp down cases and prevent cases from becoming clusters and clusters from becoming outbreaks. There's no one magical answer 
to COVID. It's a question of chipping away at the risk. And that includes both the broad areas of uh, reducing risk and the strategic approach to testing. With testing, I'd like to say something more. A test in and of itself does essentially no good. And I think this has been lost. Testing is only useful as part of a comprehensive strategy that results in rapid isolation, complete contact tracing, warning of contacts, quarantine of contacts, analyzing where disease and infection is spreading, and stopping it. So testing is crucially important, but only as part of a comprehensive approach. Excellent points, Dr. Frieden. Thank you for sharing them. What advice would you give to our frontline healthcare workers, public health officials, and the public as a whole as they navigate this pandemic? Well, first and foremost, thank you to the healthcare workers on the front lines. Uh, far too many have become infected in this pandemic and far too many have died from COVID infection. We need to do better at protecting our healthcare workers. We need to use the hierarchy of infection prevention and control, source controls, engineering controls, administrative controls, and also personal protective equipment. We need to do much better. For our public health officials, I would say, hang in there. This is a tough time, but we can get the upper hand against COVID if we focus, and we need to continue to do that. Uh, we do see parts of the country doing a good job. The more communities and cities and states do a good job, the better we can do. We can't turn our back on this virus because the minute you do that, it comes back to bite you. And so this is being in it for the long haul. It's been a tough time for public health. There's a perception among some that public health has failed, but the reality is that the failure here has been to trust public health and support it because the places around the world and around the country that have done that have done better. They've had fewer cases, fewer deaths, and less economic disruption. And for the public, I would say we're all sick and tired of dealing with this virus. But unfortunately, the virus is not tired of making us sick. And there are things that we can do. We have control. There are things that we can do to protect ourselves, to protect our lives, and to get more of our livelihoods back. And that includes wearing a mask whenever we're indoors near others. That includes washing our hands regularly, watching our distance from others. If we have COVID, uh, working with the local health department to make sure we're isolated and the virus can stop with us and we don't infect others. And we warn people who we may have exposed through no fault of our own. And if we've been exposed, that we isolate or quarantine ourselves so that the virus can stop with us. We can get the upper hand against this virus, uh, and we can do that by following the proven ways of finding it fast, stopping it soon, identifying where it's spreading, and reducing the risk to all of us. So I want to thank all of the IDSA members for the work that you're doing. This is a, a really difficult and challenging time. We're learning more all of the time. Uh, we're having to keep up with a uh, lightning fast pace of scientific discovery and scientific error as preprints get posted and taken down. We're having to deal with very difficult clinical decisions to how to best care for our patients. And we're having to deal with resisting the attempts to make science political. And for all of that, we're in it together. Uh, there's only one enemy here, and that enemy is a virus. 
And the more we stick together, learn with each other, support each other, the more we can gain the upper hand against that virus. The more we allow people to divide us, the more the virus can continue to conquer us. We can move forward. We can get our economy back. Uh, it just takes being careful, being mindful, working together, and learning. The microbes outnumber us, but we can outsmart it if we're careful and work together. At this time, I'd like to thank our special guest, Dr. Frieden, for his participation and expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Resolve to Save Lives is a part of Vital Strategies, and you can learn more about its COVID-19 work at preventepidemics.org. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on this rapidly evolving pandemic. I'm Nadia Singh.